Uh, we're going to be getting into the Word here and uh, talking about prayer a little bit. So the, the Lord's Prayer, um, which is actually kind of, as some commentators point out, it's actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus says, hey, you should pray like this. It's not Jesus' prayer uh, asking to be forgiven for his sins or something because Jesus is sinless. Jesus is saying, I want you to pray in uh, this way. And anytime you talk about prayer, there's a little bit of uh, uh, you know, a sense of guilt that I think maybe many of us have is that maybe I haven't prayed enough or whatever. I know that's how I feel. I got to get up and, and preach in front of you and tell you all about uh, my great prayer life and, and, and stuff like that. And there's always, I can always see my faults. I can always see the stuff uh, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't add up in my own life. But the, part of the problem with uh, what's commonly called the, the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer, uh, is that many people look at it as though it's a secret knock. Like, say these words in this order, and boom, 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 Jesus is going to open the door, and, it's gonna, and he's going to give you everything that you want. And sometimes we got people who say, you know what, if you just say these words in this order, uh, then God has to answer you. Uh, make sure you say in Jesus' name, otherwise it won't happen. And then like, if you say in Jesus' name, then, then Jesus will give you what you want. Uh, and so somehow Jesus is in our debt. Jesus is uh, under our control at that point. Because if I say this, then he'll, he'll do that. And some people don't even know how to pray. They're, they're, they're confused. Man, maybe you're you know, just beginning your relationship with God. I know that I've, I've talked to someone recently uh, about this. And they, they feel self-conscious about about prayer and praying in front of other people because they just don't necessarily know how to. Uh, but I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our world is that there is not a dependence upon God when it comes to, uh, when it comes to and, it, and I guess I should say, it shows up in our prayer life. There's not a dependence upon God and it shows up in our prayer, in our prayer life because prayer is uh, dependence upon God. It is depending upon him. If you're not praying, then one of the things that you know is that you are not dependent upon him. But then sometimes our prayers, uh, we're still not dependent on him, uh, but some, somehow we're still going to God and we're trying to order him around, we're trying to tell him what to do, and that's the wrong way to do that as well. So we're kind of confused on prayer, and I think I'm kind of in that same place. I had to start reading in the story of Mary and Martha uh, because immediately after the story about the, this gal, Mary and Martha, is this story about prayer, where Jesus tells us how to pray. And so one of the things that you, sh you should see as you're reading your Bible is when you see two seemingly disconnected stories, you should ask the question, why are these two stories right next to each other? Like, what is, what is the point? What is, what is the point that Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, uh, what is the point that he's trying to get across to us? And so if you're to look at the story with me, one of the things that you'll see here is this kind of difficulty that Martha is, is having, where she says this. Uh, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, that, that's a heck of a prayer. Hey, God, don't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you see what's happening with me? Can't you see that I'm the only one here serving? Which is kind of an arrogant statement. Uh, many of us ha have said that. I know that I've said that before. Can't you see all of the stuff that's going on in the world? Hey, Lord, don't you even notice what's happening in my life? Don't you understand? And then she goes a little bit further, and she says, uh, if I can find it here, <laughs> uh, tell her then to help me. 
God, tell her to do this. Now, is, is, that, is that how we should be talking to God? Is that, is that what that should look like? I got to tell you, I think I do it all the time. I think I, I think I do that all the time. I think God is big enough to receive improper prayers, and I think he directs us through those things. He doesn't condemn us. But I think the reason why Luke goes on to the next piece here is because he wants to teach us how to pray, how to actually talk to God, what, how, to, how, to, how to get what we ultimately actually really need and not just want. But Jesus has a, a retort or a response to Martha, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary. And then he says, Mary's chose, chosen the good portion. And basically saying, Martha, you have not chosen the good portion. And so I was sitting in my bed last night. As often happens uh, before I preach a sermon. You know, I've, I've studied the passage. I know what the passage says. And on some and in a large part, I think I know what it means. But there's, there's always something missing as I get close to the end. There's always something that's just like, man, I just don't want to stand up front and just say, you know what? All y'all stink at praying. Y'all should just pray more, and here's how to do it. Pray like me, and we're good. Because that, uh, that's moralistic. That's wrong. So I'm sitting in bed and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about the fact that I'm going to be preaching about prayer and yet my thought processes are leading me to this thought of, but I'm having a hard time even praying. I'm supposed to be preaching about prayer, but I can't even pray right now because I have so many things going through my head. There's just so many different facets of my life and different concerns and different uh, things that I'm involved with. There's things that I'm worried about. There, there's, you know, well, for one, I've got a sermon that I got to preach. I got to stand in front of however many people are online right now. There's probably at least two of you. I got to stand in front of, and, I, and I got to talk about this. So, I, so I'm like, I should probably pray about preaching about prayer. But then I run into a problem that is that I'm having a hard time even praying about preaching about prayer. I'm having a difficult time. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm just like, man, Lord, what, what is, what's going on in my head? What's going on in my head? And one of the thoughts that came to me was this. As I was thinking about this passage and as I was thinking about Martha, is that if I'm going to read this like it's to me, what would that be like? So I want to read it like it's to me. And say this. But the Lord answered me. And he said, Matthew, Matthew, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary's got it right. You're anxious and troubled about many things. And I, and I just wonder if many of us don't feel the same way. If we don't need to hear Jesus say, 
Matthew, Matthew, or whatever your name is. You're troubled, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but there's just one thing that's necessary. Could you just say that to yourself? If the Lord is speaking to you today, you're anxious and troubled about many things. The Advent season is about the the hope of the return of Christ. And so we, we've got the title in our Advent book that, the, um, that Ryan and, and Matt Baldwin just spoke about. It says, hope for a weary world. And I just wonder if we don't need some hope right now. In fact, I, I promise you that you do. I promise you that I do. Hope for a weary world. Martha was weary. She's working really hard. She's serving a ton. And she's like, God, where are you? Maybe you're working really hard and you're, you're trying to figure out like, why isn't God doing what you want him to do? Why isn't God responding in the way that you want him to respond? And when Jesus repeats a name twice, it means affection. It means love. It means care. It means I really want you to get this. Martha, Martha. Matthew, Matthew, you are anxious and troubled about many things. What does it look like to be the people of God in the midst of worldwide chaos? Let's look. Because our world is full of Marthas. And I think most of us fit into that category. Most of us fit into that category. So Luke is going to show us what this looks like. If you look at this passage, he says, One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I want to talk about this for just a second. Um, That's the end of chapter 10. And sometimes the chapter numbers kind of mess us up and think, okay, let's start a new thought. That's the way that American books or most books that are written in the world today go like, this chapter's about this, this chapter's about that. That's not the way that this works. Chapter 10 flows into chapter 11. And so it's our job to figure out, okay, what is, the, what is the import? What's the thought here that's being carried through? So take away the fact that this is the beginning of chapter 11. Mary's chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, I just want you to hear something, Luke says. I just want you to hear. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, he basically came in. And said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's, he's, the for, he's kind of paving the way for Jesus to come after him. And John had some prayers. We don't have those prayers today. John had some prayers that he taught his disciples. And so Jesus says, hey, why don't you do the same thing that John is doing? And so Jesus says, all right, uh, let me tell you some things. What Jesus is going to go into is he's going to go into some things. And the first thing is this, that we do not understand who we are in light of who God is. The problem when we come to God and we come to pray for him is that we don't understand who we are. We don't place ourselves in a, in a position of submission. We, we place ourselves in a position of entitlement. Entitlement. 
oftentimes. We place ourselves in, in, in a place that says, God, you should have done this. Where are you in the midst of this pandemic? Where are you in the midst of me losing my job or losing my business? Where are you in the midst of political chaos and racial uh, chaos and injustice and hatred and uh, you know all kinds of icky things that are happening throughout our world? Where are you in the midst of this? How come you're not doing what I want you to do? And Jesus says, what I want you to start with is, who is he? And then who am I? Who is God? And then who, who am I? So he says, he says to them, when you pray, I want you to say this. Now, the, the problem with that statement there is that, and not that there's any problems with what Jesus says, is that people look at that and they say, I literally have to pray like this. That's not true. Jesus is giving us the architecture of what prayer looks like. He's not telling us this has to happen exactly. Although it's good to pray through this prayer and the one that's found in Matthew chapter six, which is kind of the more developed version, uh, has more to it, more meat on its bones. Uh, this is kind of a, a synopsis of that, of that prayer, probably. Maybe the same prayer, maybe a different teaching that Jesus did. We're not sure entirely. But we're, we're not commanded to only pray this prayer. But this is the architecture. This is what prayer should look like. And so he says to them, when you pray, I want you to use this, this format. Here's a format. It's not a formula. It's not a secret knock to get God to do what you want him to do. It is just a, a formula. It's the architecture of what this should be. And he starts off by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. And what's incredibly interesting about that is this, is that Jewish people during that time would not necessarily refer to God as their father. Not in this way. See, the word that's used there is Abba. And Abba is another way of saying daddy or dearest father. Abba implies that there's this relational connection with God. And Jesus is saying, when you come to me, I want you to understand that the relationship is one of a loving father. And as a result, Jesus is saying, this is who you are. This is actually what your identity is. When I get so wrapped up in the world, when I get so wrapped up in everything that's happening around me, when I feel like that weary world and I feel anxious and I feel troubled and distracted and can't seem to pray, one thing is for sure, and that is I don't understand my relationship with God. I don't understand who I actually am. I think my identity is found in my work. I think my identity is found in my family. I think my, I, I do silly things like my identity is found in whether I don't wear a mask or whether I do wear a mask. I find my identity in, in my relationships or whether I do have the right ones or whether I have the wrong ones. I find my identity in how I feel each and every day, when, when my identity and who I am is rooted in my circumstances, there will always be weariness in the world. I have to explain to you this, that is our world is weary because its hope is in its circumstances. 
the blessing of becoming a Christian, of truly giving your life to Jesus Christ and walking with him is this, is that your hope is no longer in your circumstances. Your identity, your personality, who you are, your purpose in life is no longer rooted in who you are and what your circumstances are, but it's in who he is. And so Jesus begins by saying, I want you to refer to God as your daddy. I want you to go to dad and I want you, and I want you to say, hey dad. That seems kind of cheesy on some level. But what's Jesus, what does Jesus want us to know about that? He wants us to know that if God is my father, then I'm his child. I'm a child of the king. I'm, I'm, I'm his child, and he wants to hear from me. He wants to acknowledge my presence, and he, he wants me to see him as a loving, merciful, gracious father. So as I laid in bed last night, and I was just like, okay, I'm supposed to be praying about this, so I should start with Abba. Okay, Abba. Uh, uh, and I start in their old 70s band, Abba. Um, but don't, don't think about that song, Dancing Queen. Did they do that song? I don't know. Uh, but that wasn't good through my head. I'm sitting there thinking, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, okay, I, I need to see you as my father. I need, I'm, I'm very anxious. I'm very troubled. But the first thing that I, ju I just need to do is I just need to rest in that I am first and foremost his child. Who is he? He's dad. He's dad. The second thing is this. He says, hallowed be your name. Kent Hughes says this. He says, when you say hallowed be your name, it means may you be given that unique reverence that your character and nature as father demand. Lord, tell her to help me. I'm over here serving, doing all this stuff. Jesus says, first of all, he's your dad. He's your dad. He's gracious and he's merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. But secondly, he's holy. He's righteous. And our approach to him and our desire for him is that his name would be glorified in all of the earth, that we would see him as the most holy one. Like, I don't have it all right. I don't have everything right in my life. I, what, he's the one that has it right. I don't have it right. I can't look at the circumstances of my life and just determine like, hey God, I know what should be happening in my life. That's entitlement. That's arrogance. That's pride. That's putting yourself above God. And Jesus says, First, understand this. He's a loving father. He is over you. He is holy. Holy is his name. Hallowed be your name. So it's, it's seeing where I'm at underneath this gracious and holy and merciful God as my dad. And the fact that he is holy. And I want to proclaim his holiness with my life and my lips. 
I want to proclaim his holiness. And he says, your kingdom come. Jesus says, not only do I want you to see yourself as, as a son, as a child, as one who is under in submission, God is in subjection to me, I'm in subjection to him. But thirdly, what he's doing in the world. What God is doing in the world is the thing. That's, that's, that's his kingdom. It's God's way of life that has entered into the world as Jesus began his ministry. The kingdom of God has come near you, and etc. cetera. The, the kingdom of God has begun, and it will be Inaug- uh, finally inaugurated and, and begun in, in, in total at the second coming of Christ, which is what we're anticipating here as we go towards Christmas. And we're looking forward to that. We're hoping for that. So it's saying this, not only do I want the kingdom of God to more and more progressively come upon me in my life and that I would express the kingdom of God and what God's way of doing life is like. But I also am looking forward to God or Jesus returning and bringing about his rule and his reign. When you see everything that's going on in our world, when you see the distortion of the image of God in society, in life, when you see just the stuff that pains you, I don't know where you're at in life. When I see some of the things that are happening in culture today and it just turns my stomach, there's two things that you can do. You can say, this shouldn't happen. God, where are you in the midst of this? Or, 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 or say to them, you're out of line. You're wrong. You're going to hell. That is to say, okay, I want my kingdom here on earth. That's where my anger comes from. That's where my frustration comes from. Or we can say this, thy kingdom come. And the passage in Matthew of the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you say your kingdom come, it means, God, I want my kingdom to be replaced evermore, all the time, progressively in my life. I want it to be replaced by your kingdom. It's not going to happen in a moment's notice, but I want my kingdom to be replaced by your kingdom. Anxiousness and trouble and distraction and all of that is all about me building my kingdom. Hope for a weary world comes from praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it says in Matthew. So the first thing that we have to understand is who is he? He's my father, my dad, he's holy, and I desire his kingdom. I want him to implement his kingdom. Now imagine for a second When you get those things right, how that changes your prayer life. I'm loved, he's holy and knows better than I do, and his kingdom is coming to actually bring salvation to the world. 
Now we can begin to pray and understand who am I in the midst of this. Give us each day our daily bread, verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread is essentially saying this. I'm dependent upon you, God, for my every breath. I'm dependent on you for every meal that I have. When I move into self-dependence, when I, under, when, when I begin to think, all right, he's not my father, he's not holy, and his kingdom doesn't matter, that's when I become self-dependent. And I begin to say, I bought this food. I bought this meal. I made this happen. That's, I, I created this, this environment. I, I bought my house. I did the things that I did in my life. I've run my family correctly. But what this is saying is he, he's saying that we must be dependent on him for everything. And ultimately, when we understand uh, God and his kingdom and his holiness, what we understand is this, is that God oftentimes does not provide that far out. He doesn't let us see beyond where we are right here. What it's saying is this, it's saying, God, I just need enough for today and tomorrow, materially and spiritually. Because Jesus is also described as the bread of life. And so we can pray for this spiritually. And we can say, Lord, understanding who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in this, in this world, I need more of you. How come I'm not further along in my walk with you? How come I don't know uh, this or that about Christianity? How come I can't seem to get things right? And what we can do is we can pray and we can say, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of Jesus. I need more of him. I need less of me. I need more of you. And then verse four says, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You know what's interesting about that statement? Is that sin is a debt. Sin is a debt that every single one of us have. Sin is, a, is an ongoing debt. And it's, and it's saying this, it's saying that when we come to Jesus, not only have we already acknowledged our sinfulness before him, not only have we already acknowledged that, but we go on acknowledging it. We don't reach a point where everything's perfect. Do you feel like a failure this morning as a Christian? Because you screwed up again or you haven't been growing. You don't pray enough. You don't read your Bible. You don't, you don't uh, witness to people about who Jesus is. You don't do enough. You don't say enough. You, you said the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. Maybe you got a divorce. Maybe you've had an inappropriate relationship. Maybe you have wrong desires. Maybe you, whatever it is. Jesus says, I'm expecting that you don't have it all together. But that in and of itself is what qualifies you to even be praying to me. To understand, hey, I'm screwed up. If you're aware of all your sin this morning, guess what? Jesus is more aware of it, and he's ready and willing to forgive you. And so he says, the life of a Christian is one of ongoing forgiveness. Of ongoing repentance, I should say. And then he throws in that other statement, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
which basically means this. Forgiveness flows from a heart that knows it needs to be forgiven. Do you pride yourself in holding a grudge? Are you somebody who refuses to forgive someone in your life? Now, let me give some clarification there. Forgiveness does not mean acquiescing to someone's pathology. Forgiveness does not mean that you give in to someone who is taking advantage of you all of the time, abusing boundaries, acting inappropriately. That's not what forgiveness is. You can forgive someone and still have a boundary. So let's just be clear about that. But what this is saying here is it's saying if we cannot seem to come to a point where we're able to forgive that person or the people who are indebted to us, how can we expect that we have been forgiven? What Jesus is communicating is this, is that when you receive forgiveness to the core of who you are, at the, at the bottom of who you are, when you experience forgiveness and you realize there's no reason why God should have forgiven me, there's no reason why he should have paid the penalty for my sin, When that has truly hit your heart, the result of that is forgiveness for other people. Can't you see how our world would be so much better off? Can't you see how our world would be so much better off? Do you see what's happening in our culture? Have you heard of cancel culture? Happens all the time. Somebody has a tweet that was from a, a few years ago that said such and such. I remember I was thinking about this just the other day. A comedian said something about, uh, I, I'm not going to get into the topic of it right now, but said something. Uh, people went back, saw that tweet, and said, you're a bigot. You're, um, you hate these kinds of people. So he had to backtrack and he had to say, I, I didn't mean to say that. That was ignorant of me. I shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. And the reason why he had to backtrack is because our culture would have canceled him. Our culture has zero forgiveness, zero grace, zero mercy. Have you ever said something racist or something that could be construed as racist? Is there anybody who hasn't? Are, are you really so arrogant and prideful to think that you've never You've never said something that if it had been recorded that, uh, that you would not be in trouble and canceled by our culture, strung up, tarred, and feathered. Our culture knows nothing of forgiveness. Do you know where our weary world is coming from? Do you know why you're dealing with absolute chaos in your life? Do you know why we're dealing with this? Because our world knows nothing of the forgiveness of God. When you come to God as your father, Abba, daddy, and he blesses you with grace and forgiveness because he knows all of your racist statements and feelings and desires and compulsions. He knows everything that you've ever done or not done that you should have done. He's aware of every detail of your life, and yet he offers forgiveness. 
that changes you to the core to the point where you say, I have such a debt with this God, I could never repay it. I could never get out of debt. I could never dig myself out of this hole. And it changes you. It changes you from being somebody who is a part of the ridiculousness of our culture today to somebody who is about a new kingdom, to somebody who's about love and care and mercy and grace because they've experienced, experienced the, the grace of God. That's what happens. So we regularly ask for forgiveness with an underlying understanding that the expectation is that we have also forgiven the people around us. What does it look like to be, the, uh, to be the people of God in the midst of worldwide chaos? It is people who understand their need for forgiveness. That is one big aspect of this. And lead us not into temptation. God never is the one that leads us into temptation. But Jesus himself was tempted more than any of us have been tempted. Immediately after his baptism, he's whisked away into the desert for 40 days to be tempted persistently by Satan himself. So Jesus has gone through temptation. What this isn't saying is that, God, remove all temptations from me. And then we run into a temptation and say, God, where were you? How come you didn't remove that temptation? What we're saying is, God, would you remove my decision to act on the temptations that persistently will be around me on a regular basis. Because I'm not about my kingdom and fulfilling my own needs and, and desires and wants, and because I am not the one who provides for me, you're the one who provides for me, and because you're my dad and holy is your name, I'm asking that you would allow me to not engage in temptation. To not engage in it. And so Jesus begins to tell a story here. <coughs> and he talks about, well, let, let me just read it to you. He says, which of you who has a friend will go, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. In that day, they would all slept in one room. That sounds weird in our culture, but that, in that day, that's what it would have been like. He says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus is saying, human relationships are like this. Like you've got to beat the door down of your friend in order to get him to do something really uh, inconvenient. Really, really inconvenient. Like it's in the middle of the night, you need some food. Bro, I need some food, would you please? Like if you have to go to a friend like this, how much more is God, Abba, Father, willing to serve you, willing to give you what you ask for. 
And so he says this, this phrase, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now what, when I was a kid, I heard that verse and I, and I thought to myself, I can just ask for anything. Like I remember working on this job years ago. It was probably 20 some years ago maybe. Uh, and there was this, this, this older couple that we were reciting their house and, and whatever. I, 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 she, was a, she was really into TV preachers. And so she was like about the name it and claim it type stuff. Like I, I said it in Jesus' name and I've asked him for a million dollars so that I can be generous with other people. Like she took that verse and she ran with it. But what she didn't understand was this. Look at, look at what, it, what it says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? What good father among us gives something that the child hasn't asked for? What, what, what father among us would do that? I think Jesus is showing us something here. Sometimes when we knock on God's door, we're like Martha. Hey, Lord, don't you see what's going on here? Tell her to help me. Hey, Lord, don't you see the discomfort in my life? And what God wants to show you and I is this, is that we don't see him as our dad. And we don't see him as holy. And we, don't, we aren't about his kingdom oftentimes. And so our prayer life is really focused on my life. Our prayer life is really focused on building my kingdom. Hey God, would you build my kingdom? Would you make me feel better about me? See, Christianity isn't about you getting a better job, getting a better family, getting a better whatever it is, personality. Christianity is about getting a better God. So you have a God. Everybody has a God. And the God of this world is brutalizing our culture. And many of us who are even Christians are tricked into looking to the God of this world. And yet we throw up prayers and the truth is what we're really asking for is I want something to eat. Would you please give me a scorpion? And, and God is saying this to us. I'm not that kind of father. I'm not gonna give you what you think you need. I'm gonna give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that I know. That's a quote from Tim Keller. Our God, our Abba, our dad says, I'm gonna give you what you would have asked for. That's why you can ask you can seek and you can knock and it will be open to you. And look what the last, the last verse says here. If you then who are evil, see Jesus has a presupposition that all of humanity at its core is evil. The statement people are basically good is not true. Not according to Jesus, the great teacher. At our core, we are not good. We are evil. Jesus says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You might say, 
A, I didn't, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I asked for rent. I asked that my business would go well. I asked that the financial difficulties that I am would, would be erased by a larger income. I asked that the pandemic would stop. I asked that my candidate would win. I asked that this measure wouldn't pass. I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying to you, I know. But you would have asked for the Holy Spirit if you knew everything that I know. Because if you knew everything that I know, you would know that the greatest need that you have is Christ in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you would have asked for. So you could ask, you can seek, and you can knock, and you can expect whatever it is that you feel like you, you have God into your debt to do for you. Because you've been serving, you've been doing this, and you've been doing that. But that doesn't matter a hill of beans as long as you don't know who he is and as long as you don't really understand who you are. This prayer is intended to show us how do we get into the proper position. It's not a secret knock. It's a roadmap to say, this is what I need to understand as I go to God and just say humbly, I don't have the answer for what I even need. I think that I need fill in the blank. I think that I need more relationship, more money, more time, more effort, more energy. But I just want you, Dad, to tell me what I need because I'm not sure if I'm asking for a snake or a scorpion right now. Kind of reminds me of that Garth Brooks song, you know? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. I was gonna sing it, but uh, I'll uh, spare you. But the prayer that God always answers is the one that comes to him humbly and says, I need you. I need your thoughts for my life. And this last statement here, it says, what father among us, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? What's so interesting about that is this, is that the father gave the son of God a scorpion when he didn't deserve it. The father gave the son a serpent when he did not deserve it. Jesus received the scorpion. Jesus received the snake. Jesus received the cross to enable you to even have relationship with God. Jesus took the pain. Jesus took the frustration. Jesus took the anxiety. Jesus took the, the worry. Jesus took all of that on the cross. And he did that 
so that you could have a relationship with God. Let me be clear with you. You do not have hope in this world as long as it is in our circumstances or education or the economy or culture in any way. You have hope for a momentary time until your people are out of power or until your people are in power. That's the only time that you will have hope for a brief moment, but it is fleeting and it is short. Jesus took the cross. Jesus took the snake. Jesus took the scorpion so that you could have eternal peace from a heavenly daddy who is completely holy and wants to bless you with his kingdom here and now and eternally. And the only question is, is whether you will receive that. So I invite you this morning to receive Jesus as your savior and confess to him your sin, understanding that he knows your evil and yet he is offering grace and mercy to you this morning. And if you make a decision like that this morning, I'm just asking that you would maybe email me, matt at outwardchurch.com. Maybe you'd comment on the thread. Maybe send us a private message on Facebook or Instagram or uh, something like that. Let us know whether you've made a decision like that. Can we go to the Lord's table now and as the band comes forward here? Would you take a few moments? Would you contemplate the grace of Jesus in your life, the grace that you need? Maybe you can pray with me using this prayer as a format. Say, Dad, I'm your child. I don't understand it fully, but I'm your your child. You are holy beyond measure. I'm not equal to you. I'm not above you, but you are above all all things and it's in and through that that I see how I've been trying to build my kingdom and so God I'm asking for your kingdom to be built in my life Lord would you give me the sustenance that I need both materially and physically and spiritually Lord I need more of you But God, this morning, I'm praying right now that you would remind me of the sin in my life. Ask God that right now. Lord, would you remind me of the sin in my life? Is there someone whom I haven't forgiven? Is there some action a reaction that I had that shouldn't have been there. 
Oh, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for going to the cross. And I pray that you would help me avoid these sins in the future. I pray that you would help me resist temptation in these areas. So do you know what Jesus' response is? He says, yeah, I forgive you. He says, this is my body which is broken for you and for that sin. I want you to eat this in remembrance of me and what I've done for you and how I paid for your sin on the cross. Let's partake of the the bread. He says, not only that, but my lifeblood was given for your life. It was poured out for your sins. It was emptied on the cross. I love you so much, my son. I love you so much, my daughter, that I gave my very life for you. Partake of this in remembrance of what I've done for you on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us and forgiving us. It's in your name we pray, amen.